Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCreary, your host, and I'm being joined once again this week by Mike Livingston. Mike is one of the members of the Adult Explore the Bible team. So, Mike, thank you for being with us again today. I believe you were with us a couple weeks ago, weren't you? Weeks ago, yeah. Good to be back. Today, we're looking at session four, uh, which is an examination of Philippians 3, 8 through 21. The, the title of the session is Joy in Knowing Jesus. The summary statement for this passage or this study is believers gain joy through knowing Jesus and living in obedience to him. We've got four points in our outline. They are righteousness gained, sanctification begun, warning issued, and citizenship assured. That first point, righteousness gained, looks at verses 8 through 11 of Philippians 3. After describing his accomplishments prior to salvation, Paul then declared that none of those actions compared to knowing Christ. He points out that he was unable to obtain righteousness through those things, but now knew the joy of righteousness through faith in Jesus. Paul's goal was to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and identify with his sufferings with a view to eternal life. The second point, verses 12 through 14, we've entitled Sanctification Begun. Paul reminded his readers in these verses that he and they needed to continue to move toward God's standards. He challenged them to press on, moving forward in their spiritual development. Verses 15 through 19 we find Paul warning those who were maturing to continue to do so. He called on them to follow the example of Jesus and himself. He reminded his readers that some had rejected Christ and become enemies of Christ, leading them to destruction. The fourth section, verses 20 and 21, those verses, which we entitled Citizenship Assured, Paul reminded the Philippian believers of their citizenship in heaven and of the transformation awaiting them in heaven. So those points were righteousness gained, sanctification begun, warning issued, and citizenship assured. The main points of those four ideas, first of all, in righteousness gained, is that faith in Christ is the only way to gain a right standing before God. Sanctification begun, 12 through 14, the idea there is that faith in Christ opens the door for ongoing spiritual sanctification. The third point, warning issued, verses 15 through 19, the main point there is that believers must remain faithful in their commitment to Christ. And lastly, verses 20 through 21, citizenship assured, in these verses, the promise of heaven should motivate believers to remain faithful to Christ. Well, that's a quick look at the, at the passage, Mike. Um, how do we deal with verse 11? And Paul assuming he would somehow reach the resurrection. Yeah, <clears throat> depending on your translation, the, yeah. reading, um, the, the CSB starts with the word assuming, assuming that I will somehow reach the, uh -huh. the resurrection. Other translations have something similar to that. We can say that there's no doubt that Paul was confident that he would reach the resurrection. Uh, he, he, he was confident. He didn't doubt the fact. 
Um, go down a few verses later in this passage, uh, in verse 21, where Paul says, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. I mean, that, that doesn't sound like someone who had doubts. He was confident that he had attained the, the, the resurrection. So how are we to understand verse 11 is, is, is the question. A uh, couple things, a couple, uh, really two different ways of looking at it. And they're not, these are not mutually ex exclusive uh, ideas, but one is that Paul was expressing humility here in, in the way that he worded uh, this verse. It's just, an, it's a way of expressing his humility. And I found that many, I found many commentaries, many commentators um, uh, with this view that uh, Paul didn't want to sound presumptuous because he knew that from beginning to end, salvation is a gift of God, it's by God's grace completely. Um, and he, he knew that, he didn't want to sound presumptuous. So it's just, it's, an, it's a way of expressing his humility. Yeah. Uh, that, that's one way. Okay. Um, and there are a lot of commentaries who, who say that. Um, I can see that. I can see that being the, yeah, there. yeah, but there's another way of looking at it, and it doesn't exclude that first, you know, thing we just said. But another thing is that any any uncertainty on Paul's part, if there was any uncertainty on his part, it's is not that he would attain the resurrection, but it was about the events that would happen between his now and then. You know, it, it was his immediate future that he didn't know about. So what what that means is he didn't know when or how. Um, the end would come for him. <clears throat> so he didn't know uh, if he was going to die in prison, if he didn't, he didn't know if the end would be by martyrdom, or even if he would be alive when Jesus came back. He, you know, he had that expectation, you know, that Jesus could come back before, you know, I, I experienced death. He lived with that expectation too. He, he yeah. it, was, it was not like, I hope it happened. It's like, I, it, it, it's very yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, when you, so when you look at the verse, uh, when you look at it in the Greek, you know, the Greek construction and language, the first two words of the verse, um, the, the first word in, in Greek is the word tra often translated if. It's a, uh, it, it's a word that introduces a conditional clause, and we, we usually start that with the word if, but there are different kinds of conditional clauses in Greek, and this is a conditional clause of expectation, and what that means that is it's an expression of expectation and not doubt. So the way it's constructed, is it, it, it says to us that Paul assumed this to be true. He's not doubting it will be true. He assumed it will be true. You look at the construction in, in the original language and you, it indicates that, that he's assuming the truth of, of this fact that he would attain the resurrection. And then there's a, the word that follows that little conditional if, in Greek is a word that carry, can carry the meaning of somehow or by any means or in some way. And, and the King James uh, expresses it by, with the translation by any means, I think it is, or that in the English Standard Version says by any means possible. And there's one, I think there's one translation that says one way or another. You know, that Paul knew one way or another, He's going, to, he's going to attain the resurrection. So the question for him was, he, he didn't know when or how that was going to happen, but he, he was confident that it was going to happen. So just to place it in this, in our discussion here, we, we almost could, could take the approach that if we wanted to translate it into our, our own vernacular, when, somehow, and I don't know how, but when it happens, somehow I know it's going to happen. I'm not sure how it's going to happen, 
But when it happens, I'm going to attain the resurrection. That's that'd be a fair way of saying. I think I think that's I think that's a fair way of, of expressing it. Yes. Okay. Paul calls on his readers to imitate him. Question that's maybe ask here: Shouldn't we be imitating Jesus? This seems like an arrogant statement to make especially since we're talking about spiritual maturity and humility being one of the things that should growingly be demonstrated by us as believers. So how, how do we deal with that issue where Paul calls on his readers to imitate him? Yeah, and it's not, it's not just imitate him. Um, he does say, join in imitating me. He goes on to say, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. So he's calling on them to pay attention uh, to those who live according to the example you have in us. So in other words, um, you know, imitate Paul, yes, but there are others to imitate as well. Uh, there, are other, there were other believers who were setting the example, not just Paul, but there were others who were also setting an example for them to follow. This is not an uncommon theme in Paul's letters. He said this more than once, imitate me. Uh, and one, maybe one of the key places, the key verses where he said uh, that is in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And I think that's an important, um, an important verse to look at or think about as, as you try to understand what Paul is saying here. Paul could say, imitate me because he was imitating Christ. Jesus is the one we want to be like. So any, any, Christian, any Christian leader is worthy of imitating only to the extent that that person's life imitates Jesus. I mean, you know, sanctification, we talk about sanctification as God working in us to make us more like Christ, not, not to make us more like Paul, to make us more like Christ. So it wasn't arrogance on Paul, uh, Paul's part to say, imitate me. That's called discipling. Really, if you think about it, that's that's what discipling is. Um, he taught he, later in his life, uh, towards the end of his life, he, when he wrote uh, to Timothy, he told Timothy, "Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, and faith, and purity." So whether you're young or old, you can set an example for other believers in the way you talk, in the way you conduct yourself, and in, in and how you love and your faith and your purity. We, we all are to be setting an example for others that, that others can follow. That's, that's a part of discipleship. That, that's the nature of the call to be a disciple mm -hmm. is that we, you know, how, how else do you disciple someone without you showing them what it looks like? Right. Um, there is, I don't think there really is a, a, a true way to do it otherwise where you could say, let me, let me tell you what the Bible says. Now, I don't do this. This is right. what you should do. Yeah. Uh, right. That doesn't cut it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's got to be, here's what the Bible says. Here's how I'm trying to do this. Uh, how do you respond to that? Uh, right. That kind of approach. I, that's the impression I get here. And that's what I hear you saying in, the, in your mm -hmm. comment. Yeah. Um, this passage has a great deal to say about spiritual maturity sanctification, about us growing, uh, about us making sure that we are in tune with what's going on, that the passage that I may know him, uh, critical in this, in this verse, verse 10, 
understanding who he is that I get more knowledge of Christ by experience every day, every day, those kind of things. What are some roadblocks to spiritual maturity that we can address in this study? You know, that, that sounds, I like that question. It sounds like a good discussion question. I might ask my group on <laughs> what are your road, but you know, what, what are your roadblocks um, to spiritual maturity? Anyway, but anyway, I'll try to, I'll try to answer that. Um, I, you know, I can think of several um, possible roadblocks. And I think one, maybe the main one from, to me is just the lack of desire. Just the lack of desire. Um, you know, what Jesus say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're the ones who will be filled. And, uh, you know, some just simply, honestly, they just don't have that hunger. They just don't have that hunger and thirst. Um, and, and those who don't have the hunger and thirst to, to grow in spiritual maturity, they won't. It's as simple as that. And I think another, another one, uh, it goes hand in hand with that. I think another would be the lack of discipline. When we neglect the spiritual disciplines, you know, when there's no real prayer life, um, no serious Bible study or no meaningful fellowship with other Christians beyond just, you know, on a superficial level on Sunday mornings, you know, when, when, when we lack the, the spiritual disciplines, uh, our growth is, is stunted. Uh, and those those disciplines they take effort they take work so a lazy christian is not is going to fail in, in them and, and neglect them and and not grow so i think that's a, you know, that's a funny term you think about lazy christian i don't know that those two words should be used together should they, shouldn't. they, they shouldn't be um, so I, I think you know those two things a lack of desire a lack of discipline and i think those really go hand in hand and I think going back to a discussion we had just uh, what we were saying a minute ago, I think a lack of discipling, the lack of discipling uh, in discipleship uh, on the road to maturity, um, there is more caught than taught. This is what you were saying a, a minute ago. And while so formal instruction, that's, you know, that's valuable, but I think relationships are key in, in, in discipleship. So that, that reminds us as teachers, the importance of the role we play, not just to present content or mm -hmm. truth, but also to relate to the people who are sitting in that classroom yeah. or wherever we're having our Bible study group. Yeah, I think I think we all need a Paul in our lives who will who'll say to us and not just say, but who will model for us, you know, this is what it looks like. This, this is what it looks like to study your Bible. You know, this, this is how I study my, this is how I do Bible study. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to pray. This is what it looks like to evangelize. This, this is how I do it. This is how you can do it. We all need that. You know, the old model for disciple making, you probably heard, many of you probably heard this. The old model is, I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. You do, someone else watches. You know, that, that old model. That's, that's what this, this is what this is, you know, talking about. Um, that we, we need that kind of relational discipleship. Uh, and without it, maturity just, it doesn't, it doesn't take place. Spiritual maturity is not going to happen without relationships, Christian community. Do you there think people value those? I don't know. I, I, there was a uh, research done just from LifeWay Research. 
and and it's really kind of disturbing to, to when you look at it uh it says that two-thirds of churchgoers like 65 percent of churchgoers agree that they can walk with god without other believers so in other words they two-thirds two-thirds they that they they don't value relationships at church enough to see those relationships as essential in their christian walk and in their their spiritual health they don't see community as essential that's alarming to me that was um, if you want to look that up it's it's lifeway research you can find i'm sure you can find it at lifewayresearch.com and it would have been published in april so you know not too long ago yeah. So, you know, there's this, it's been said uh, that we come to faith as individuals, we grow in community. So <clears throat> we need each other. We need that relational kind of, of disciple, uh, discipleship in order to grow. So, <clears throat> so what, you know, what are some of the roadblocks? I, I just think those are some, you know, there's, there's no desire, there's no discipline, there's no discipling going on. But to me, those would be the, my top three. So you, the, the quote that you said, we come as individuals, but we grow in community. Yeah, we come to faith as individuals, we grow in community. I, I didn't, that, that's not original with me. Yeah. I've, I've heard that, yeah. That's an important thing for us to keep in mind when we think about these roadblocks. So your roadblocks were no hunger, no discipline, no discipling, and a subset of that discipling is community with other believers. Yeah. Um, it, and that community helps not just the person who is, needing to grow, but the person who is actively growing, because that keeps them accountable too. Uh, yeah. So we all, we all need, uh, we all need a Paul in our lives, but we also all need a Timothy as well. Mm. You know, so it's, it's, it's coming in and, and, and flowing out um, to others. Yeah. That's, that's just a part of spiritual health, spiritual growth. One of the ideas that's uh, stuck out to me that, is included in the options in the leader guide is the art idea. Uh, and the idea is for us to provide paper and pencils to the group and then invite them to review Philippians 3, 8 through 21 and create an illustration that depicts what Paul is trying to explain here. Uh, and a variation would be to, to hand out paper at the beginning of the group time and allow them to illustrate multiple things throughout the lesson, uh, throughout the session. Uh, they could, you could do it by each one of these points, uh, however you want to do it. And it doesn't have to be an elaborate illustration. It could be just drawing symbols, memory cues, those kinds of things. And then at the end, asking folks to share what they have illustrated. Uh, I, I know that some may see that, oh, that's childish, but I think you'll be surprised what your group may develop what your group may do, and it will engage them in a completely different way than what they may have normally been a part of the Bible study group. They could even do that in, the, in their personal study guide or the daily discipleship guide, drawing symbols by each section uh, in the margin uh, in either one of those resources as you work through the passage and have everybody share those things as a way to summarize this study. Mike, any other key thoughts, key ideas you would share about Philippians 3, 8 through 21? No, I think not. I appreciate uh, and, and have enjoyed um, this discussion. I appreciate you asking me. Uh, we want to thank you all for listening to us today. If you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send me an email at Dwayne McCrary at lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot 
M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at Lifeway.com. And I'll do my best to answer your question. Or if I don't know the answer, I'll find the person who does know the answer and connect you with them. Next week, we'll be looking at Philippians 4, 1 through 9. The main idea there is we have joy through peace. I hope you join us as we examine that passage next week.